You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 688 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and Happy New Year to everyone. Hope everybody enjoyed their time on the holiday. And uh, for most of this podcast, it'll be a conversation with myself and Ben Ladner of Sports Illustrated. Ben is on the beat now around the Hawks and is around the team quite a bit, and then really enjoyed that conversation. Everybody should be checking out Ben's work, and you'll be hearing from him very, very shortly here on the show, but a couple of updates because I recorded with Ben on Tuesday afternoon before the Hawks actually practiced and decided to hold the podcast for another day or so. Um, a couple of updates quickly. Trey Young was apparently a full participant in practice. It was a non-contact practice on Tuesday. Lloyd Pierce told Kevin Chenard of Hawks.com that he, quote, would imagine he'd be ready to go by Friday, end quote. So good news there on Trey Young. The Hawks play the Celtics on the road on Friday, and that's a tough matchup even with Trey Young, but obviously they're going to want to have him in the lineup as soon as possible. There is some incentive for the Hawks to be careful with Trey if there's any doubt whatsoever because of where they are in the standings. But if he's ready to go, he's going to play. Trey likes to play, and there's no way they're going to hold him out if, he, if he's able to go. So there you go on that. Looks good for the return of Trey Young in the near future. And the other th- the other thing on the injury report, uh, so to speak, there's no injury report just yet for Friday's game as I record this right now on Wednesday, but um, Jabari Parker has an issue at the moment with, with his shoulder. He's missed three straight games with, with what the team is calling a shoulder impingement, and Lloyd Pierce told Kevin Shinara that there is, quote, some stuff there with his shoulder, end quote. Uh, Pierce said that he had to talk to Chelsea Lane, the head of the training staff, about what the next steps uh, are for Jabari Parker. Um, he's, he's been having treatment, um, and Pierce said that he, quote, obviously felt good enough to go through and shoot, end quote, but he, he wasn't sure about contact, and there might be some concern there, according to Pierce, about Parker getting hit. The shoulder impingement could be, you know, it's kind of a fluid term. Uh, Kyrie Irving's missed a lot of time with an injury described in this in similar fashion. Everything is not the same here. It could be different injury, obviously, but they've been careful with Jabari so far, and Parker has some incentive to be careful as well with an expiring contract. He does have a player option, of course, but the Hawks will be careful with Jabari. We'll see if he's able to play on Friday, but um, it's one of those things where it wouldn't surprise me if he was suddenly out for a few weeks, and it wouldn't surprise me if he played on Friday based on this sort of uncertain discussion from Lloyd Pierce on uh, at practice on Tuesday. So for whatever that's worth, it uh, looks like good, good news for Trey Young and some uncertainty for Jabari Parker moving forward. And we'll have more, of course, after the game on Friday and into Saturday, which is a home game, actually, as the Hawks come home after they play in Boston. So without further delay, um, here is a pretty long conversation that I had with Ben Ladner. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Uh, if you have some travel this week, a good time to go ahead and fire that up and you'll have about two days to listen to it before the Hawks return to action on Friday night. So uh, here you go. Please subscribe to the podcast, all that fun stuff. And uh, here's my conversation with Ben Ladner. Ben, thank you for joining me for the first time. Somehow, it's the first time you've joined me on this podcast. That's gonna that's gonna change in the future. But welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm I'm thrilled to be here. It's my honor, sir. Um, we are recording this so people know on Tuesday. It's not going to be out until probably Thursday. So if anything, if anything changes, I will have probably already added an addendum to the beginning of this podcast. But um, just so people understand where we are. And uh, with that said, we are in the afterglow of the Brandon Goodwin game, Ben. Uh, Brandon Goodwin had himself an evening on Monday, which I talked about on the podcast, but people have been asking what to make of Brandon Goodwin, and I've been arguing for a while that he should play. Uh, He's not as good as he was on Monday, Um, but what do you make of Brandon Goodwin? Is he someone who the Hawks should be looking at, should be playing, should be giving minutes to, and is he a prospect that is interesting to you? 
I mean, I think certainly as long as Trey Young is out, he's a guy that should be in the rotation, you know, maybe not necessarily starting. Um, but you saw what he did last night against Orlando where he he was just he, he gives them some burst and some dynamism and some playmaking that they simply don't have without Trey Young because of the way this roster was built without a real backup point guard. Just having someone who can handle the ball and, and get into the ball in the defensive end, too, um, is a pretty big lift. And so, you know, I'm not really sure how his role is going to change once Trey comes back. I would I would lean toward if I were making the decisions, keeping him around just to have that extra that extra body, that extra defender, extra ball handler. Um, but it, it's it's tough to know what kind of direction they want to go because they have so many guys who, you know, for either like real purposes or political purposes, kind of need to be in the rotation and and kind of up with the team. So they might just run out of roster spots for him. But personally, I'd like to see him get more opportunity because obviously he's a guy who can you know make some plays off the dribble. Space the floor a little bit. He's not as good a shooter as he showed last night, but I think he can he can stretch the, the floor and shoot the ball a little bit. So um, yeah, I mean, I was it was encouraging to see him play well after basically no one on the Hawks played well for several games there. Um, but it, it's it's tough to know kind of where he stands with this team moving forward. Yeah, I mean, he shot it well so far in the G League this season. I would caution people against you know as soon as, as soon as the you know uh, as soon as the performance happened, people were telling me about his G League numbers, and I understand that they're really good. He averages I think it's like nineteen and eight in the G League on good shooting. Um, the shooting is the big I won't say the biggest question, but it's certainly a question with Goodwin. I'm not sure he's going to make enough threes to be a full blown rotation player, but if he makes shots. Backup point guard seems like a appropriate role for him. He's he's I think he's kind of a fringe NBA player, but certainly an NBA kind of player. And at that position, the Hawks don't have much, as you said. I think once Trey comes back, it would be reasonable for them to use him as a backup point guard. Like not not a ton. I don't think you want to play him with Trey Young, and Trey Young's been playing you know 38 minutes a game or so. But that's still like a 10-minute-a-game role, and that, that wouldn't bother me if they suddenly just said, all right, after not using a backup point guard this season, we're going to just use Goodwin as the guy that comes on the court when Trey leaves the court. And that, you know, it wouldn't blow me away if they didn't do that either, but based on what we saw recently, even, you know, and Lloyd Pierce said this as well, I think he actually played fairly well over the weekend. He just didn't make any shots. I that, agree. That might happen again. I mean, Goodwin does add other things, like defensively, he's you know, pretty aggressive, pretty physical. He's not, he's not too small. He's a good athlete. I think he can just kind of be in that role too. And that might be a good way to look at him even more. Yeah. And maybe he gives you a way to not have to play Trey Young 38 minutes a game. Cause True. I'm not sure that's <laughs> necessarily the best approach, but I mean, the Hawks are obviously out of playoff contention. So it's not like you're really playing for anything by, by running your, your best guy out there for 38 minutes. So maybe you can bump Trey down to 34, 35 minutes a little bit of a healthier ballpark and and Goodwin's the guy that kind of gets you there in terms of playing those backup minutes. I agree. You probably don't want to have the two of them on the floor together because as as good as I just mentioned, Goodwin is getting into the ball and kind of pestering ball handlers. Uh, the combination of, of he and Trey Young together would be uh, pretty disastrous on defense. But I, I agree. I think like given that the Hawks don't have a backup point guard, you mentioned he's probably a fringe NBA player, but he would not be the only fringe NBA player in the Hawks rotation right now. <laughs> so you're really not working with a, a very high bar right now. And and so that's kind of what I, I wrote about him in my kind of post-game thing last night after the Magic game, where I basically said, like, he's not competing with with Kyle Korver here for minutes in terms of his ability to shoot. He's not competing with, like, Rajon, prime Rajon Rondo as, as far as, like, making plays and things like that. Like, the threshold for being in the Hawks rotation is not very high right now. And so to me, he he checks a lot of boxes that a lot of guys don't really check. And again, we'll have to see if it's sustainable. I agree that he played well in the games even when he didn't shoot it well uh, against Milwaukee and Chicago. But 
like if he can if he can shoot like mid 30s from three and just give you a body on the second unit who can handle the ball and like keep the offense functional that's a big lift because right now the Hawks offense is not functional without Trey Young on the floor yeah, and eventually, if he's up with the team consistently, you're going to run into the, uh, the, the the two-way clock with him. But the Hawks do have a roster spot available, and if, if he's in your rotation, uh, converting him to a rest-of-season contract wouldn't be a big deal. The Hawks could do that very easily, and I think, looking ahead a little bit, there's reason to believe that someone like Chandler Parsons won't be on the team um, beyond February. So, you know, all that stuff, just to say, th- there's probably no downside in terms of the two-way clock either, in terms of keeping Goodwin up, um, particularly because, you know, you have Charlie Brown, and Charlie Brown could be excised if they wanted to create another roster spot for two-way, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. nothing to worry and, about. And it's here. not like you're waiting for some great buyout candidate to hit the market, and no. you need to save that roster spot to improve. I mean, they're they're really, like I said, they're in a position where, they're not they're not going to be like playing for much down the stretch other than maybe a, a better lottery slot. And so if you have to convert Goodwin, if you have to use that roster spot, it's not like you were going to put that toward anything significantly better than Brandon Goodwin. Yeah, and, he, and he's 24. He's not super duper young, but that's young enough to where if you get him on a non-guaranteed multi-year deal, that wouldn't be a surprise to me. The Hawks have done that in the past with guys like Antonius Cleveland, and it, it doesn't always work out. But, you know, if you can get him to sign a one of those hinky special kind of contracts, that would be a value, I think. Um, just take a shot at him and see if that works out for you. He may he may not want to sign it, but as a two-way guy, your options are kind of limited, so you can kind yeah. of the team has the advantage in that situation if they want to lock him up for another year or two. Yeah. Uh, last last note I really have on Goodwin is I think I played against him in high school one time in like a <laughs> summer circuit. And I, I believe that because my, my my brother my brother is actually a little bit older. I think he coached against him. I want to say locally. Really? He's from Norcross, by the way. People that don't, don't yeah. know that he, he went to school at Norcross. Yeah, I remember like I went to this coach's clinic over the summer and, and they had all the rookies there um, like kind of helping out with stuff. And he was one of the guys. And I looked at him. I was like, that guy looks kind of familiar. And then I heard the name Brandon Goodwin. I was like, I'm pretty sure I saw this guy like in a summer league somewhere when I was in high school. Obviously, he's a couple years older than I am. Um, but, you're, because yeah. you're very young, Ben. That's, that's, what, I, that's what that yeah. means. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I he looked super familiar. And, and so, it, yeah, it's good to see him, uh, you know living the dream and, and actually contributing at the NBA level. Yeah, it's even more fun because he's a local product. That's always interesting to uh, point out. And yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, you might be shocked by this if you're listening to this podcast. The plan was not to discuss Brandon Goodwin on this podcast, <laughs> but because he played so well on Monday, we had to talk about it at the beginning. And now we'll transition a little bit into some other, uh, I won't say more pressing, but probably more prominent issues. Um, Okay, hard, hard shift here. I want to ask you about John Collins, who has now been back for four games as we're talking now. He's played nine games this season, um, and I haven't talked about him a ton. You know, obviously, just game stuff so far since he's returned. How have you thought he'd – what do you make of the way he's looked since he came back? I think he's played generally pretty well, but he's had two prolific offensive games and two not-so-prolific offensive games. But, you know, I think he's been pretty good. But what do, what do you make of what, how Collins has looked so far? Anything standing out to you? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I noticed was the conditioning is, I think, right where it needs to be. And you worry sometimes after guys miss 25 games that they're going to take a while to get up to speed in terms of their wind, being able to play heavy minutes. He kind of jumped right back into the rotation and didn't really miss a beat. Um, you know, Lloyd Pierce mentioned, and I think it was it was evident, too, in that Cleveland game that, you know, the, the timing, the rhythm wasn't totally there in his first couple games back, just because that's how it works when you don't see NBA competition for a couple games. In fairness to him, you, you mentioned that those two not-so-prolific offensive games. Uh, one of those games last night, he was going up against Jonathan Isaac, which uh, is just 
not not a fun experience. It doesn't look like for for players who have to try to score against him. Orlando has um, always bothered him too. Collins has yeah. never played well against Orlando offensively. Yeah, and by contrast, Chicago has always been kind of a, a team against which he's played pretty well, and he had 34 points against them, um, which is I, I believe a career high after he set a career high in Chicago last season. So that's I, that seems to be a pretty good matchup for him as well. Um, yeah, I mean it's just. The thing you notice is just the, the the punch that he gives them on offense. You know, just a guy who can get to the basket, get downhill, and finish at a high rate off of sort of self-created shots, which the Hawks really didn't have. Jabari Parker kind of gave them that, but his his ability to to do that sort of waned the the longer he stayed in that starting lineup. And by the end there, he wasn't nearly as effective as he was uh, in the first few games after Collins' suspension. So I, I like the way Collins looked. I think defensively, he he is near the level he was before the suspension, which is to say he he looks pretty good, I think. Um, and again, that that's going to improve, I, I feel like, with with the timing and with the reps and, and just kind of getting back into the flow. The more he plays, the more he finds his rhythm, I think the better he'll look on defense because uh, he only has played, he's only played four games uh, since the suspension. So we, I think he's still kind of finding that rhythm. But overall, I've, I've been fairly impressed. Gives them a lift on the boards, which is important because the Hawks have obviously been one of the worst rebounding teams in the league. And so... It's just kind of the combination that he gives the Hawks where he, you know, there are guys on this team who can rebound there. Are, there are guys who can score. There are guys who can, you know, kind of provide that vertical threat on on offense as a lob threat, getting to the rim and, and exert that sort of vertical gravity on defenses. But no one does all of those things. And and not to mention his ability to shoot the three. So just, just having a guy who can do multiple things on offense and defense I think really helps this team a lot because before he came back, Lloyd Pierce was kind of picking and choosing, okay, do I want to have a floor spacer on the floor or do I want to have a defensive guy on the floor? And now he doesn't have to make that choice. And so that alone, even if Collins isn't necessarily lighting it up every night, that ability alone, I think gives, gives the Hawks a lot more flexibility and just makes them a more potent team. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, he's, he's the one guy, I mean, obviously Trey Young offensively is irreplaceable on this roster, but um, not far behind that is just Collins is the only one who can do what he can do on both ends of the floor. So it's, it's, it's not a small thing. And I think people realize that when he was out, but you know, the production is what it is. He's, he's averaging 18 and 10 in his nine games. That's about what you'd expect for John Collins. He's been efficient. This is also what you expect for John Collins. I agree with you on the defense. I thought, I thought it was better um, on Monday against Orlando. He's, I think he's getting more locked in. That is the big question. It's what it's always been for Collins is defense. But if you combine the end of last season with the beginning of this season, I think there's re- there's reason to be optimistic about his defense. And if, that's, if that clicks in, he's, you know, he may not be an all-star, but he's right on the edge of that conversation. Because if you have guys that could average 18 and 10 and play quality defense, that's a really good player. Uh, that's not breaking news to anybody here, but he's very, very valuable. And not just for the scoring, as we talked about there. Like his, he just does everything for the Hawks in a way that nobody else can. And small ball five too. I mean, last night or Monday night, they they kind of fortunately were able to go away from Bruno Fernando and Damian Jones because now they have John Collins. And for a while, it was Alex Len or absolute bust at center. And now they have at least have an option if you want to go small and go offense heavy. Collins is an option there where they just they just didn't have that guy for the entire time he was going. Yeah, and if the defense comes around, if it sustains like you're talking about, I think that helps the Hawks from a team-building standpoint, too, moving forward. Because if you look at kind of the five guys they're you know, building, they appear to be building around right now, their youngest five guys, Trey Young, Kevin Herter, uh, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, and John Collins. You know, Collins is the, the, the quote-unquote center in that lineup. And so if those are the guys you're building around, and that's maybe those aren't the five that the Hawks end up settling on for their kind of long-term uh, core for this era— 
But if it is, like he's going to have to play center in those lineups. And so if he can, if he can make your defense passable, if he can kind of anchor, you know, a, a 16th, 17th ranked defense, and he gives you, you know, the the dynamism on offense to be like an elite offense, that that makes things a lot easier for the Hawks and maybe gives them more clarity moving forward as to how to build this team. Because if the defense doesn't come around, then that that means you need a, a more defensive guy, in, you know, in the middle. You need a kind of a true center to help anchor the defense. And then that prevents you from playing those five guys together, and that probably bogs down your offense a little bit. So really, that's I mean, if we're looking long term, which I think at this point in the season we probably have to, uh, I think the defense is one of the biggest questions. That, John Collins' defense in particular is one of the biggest questions the Hawks have, and right now he's he's providing I think an encouraging answer to that question. Yeah, I totally agree, and I mean I, I'm still skeptical based on what I've heard or you know kind of just observed from the team that that they see him as a full-time center but if you can get him to a, if you can get him to play you know 15 minutes a game at center and trust that defensively that is a huge win for a team in perspective like like you said because you're still going to want to have a center or two on the roster that can play against bigger matchups and can be more of a stabilizing force um but if you have the option to go small and use that as a closing lineup in particular that's huge in the playoffs if you if, if and when you get there you most teams I won't say everybody, but most teams go smaller at the end of games in the modern NBA. And if you can go to that lineup and, and trust your defense and switch and kind of just be flexible in that way, having a guy like Collins who can play with force on both ends of the floor is paramount to that. Like you've seen that at the highest levels of the sport in the last few years. Um, he's not going to be Draymond Green defensively, but that kind of model where you have a super athletic quote unquote center who can do it on both ends of the floor is just huge. And if you have that guy, you're in good shape. Yeah. And Lloyd Pierce has sort of expressed a reluctance before to play Collins at center. He said they want to establish him as a four before they move him to the five. And and I agree with you. It, it does seem like they want to try to, they, they don't want him to be the full-time center, or at least they don't believe he can be at this stage. But, but like you said, being able to downsize and just having that flexibility, even if it means you have to bring someone like Kevin Herter or Cam Reddish off the bench long-term, like I, I think they're okay with that. And, and right now though, it's just unclear, you know, who that long-term center would be. So I think, I think the, the maybe, the instinct is just to assume those are the five guys, but I, I agree that that's kind of that may be the way they need to to go in terms of building this team is just put a, a bigger guy next to Collins and then use him as kind of a, a backup center in some ways. Yeah, that's a I can't. It's already happening, but I'm not, I'm not looking forward to the to the to the discussion a couple of years from now when one of these guys is coming off the bench and it's uh you know. It's not a big deal. It's one of those things where, like, guys that come off the bench, it's it's not a problem. It doesn't mean that guy's bad. Like, if it's Herter yeah. or Reddish down the, down, down the line and you have to have that guy be your sixth man and everything works out, like, it, it's okay. You don't have to start You don't have to start your five guys that you've drafted. It's it's okay. I promise. Right. <laughs> I yeah, and especially because, I mean, it looks like it may not necessarily happen, but the Hawks will be in position to be a free agent player next summer and the summer after that. And so certainly if they add a, a free agent of any significance, which, again, it, like, there's no guarantee or even like hint that they might do that at this point. But if that that ends up happening and, and they kind of, you know, jump into the playoff mix that way by kind of adding that big name in, in free agency, then you're definitely not bringing that newly acquired guy off the bench. And it's going to be one of those five guys you drafted. Yeah. B- between free agency, like you said, and having a having a pile of money to spend. And by the way, a projected top five pick coming or projected yeah. at least top seven, top top eight pick. You're going to have two or three probably more guys in the mix, and uh, somebody has to not start. So yeah. that's just what happens. But so you um, can't start seven guys? Uh, apparently that's not allowed. Um, we used to I run have. a play in church basketball in high school called Red Six, where we would sneak a six guy on the floor for a fast break layup. 
And uh, the refs usually the refs usually snuffed it out. That is uh, absolutely hysterical and a perfect time to go to a, to go to a live read, Ben. So hold on tight. I have to talk about the good folks at my bookie because between football season, the NBA, and college basketball, it's time to get off the sideline and get into the action with my bookie. If you're going to bet anywhere this season, do the smart thing. Go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. If you're tired of watching the game from, from the couch with nothing to gain, MyBookie wants to get your mind off everything else and back on the game. If you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with if you use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Take advantage of this, of this generous offer from MyBookie. Visit MyBookie.ag today. Using promo code locked on NBA, you play, you win, and you get paid. All right, Ben, uh, we're back, and let's transition a little bit. Um, not necessarily fully, because we we're just talking about the sort of the core, and I want to ask you about one of the members of the quote unquote core right now, and that's Kevin Herter. He had a big second half on Monday, which hopefully silenced some of the doubt recently. But um, I don't know about your mentions, because I know you're not quite as active on Twitter as I am, but. People have been getting frustrated with Kevin Herter recently, and I think it's fair to say he's not been playing fantastic basketball since he returned from injury. There's been some nice flashes, but um, I guess the easiest way to open this up to you is, are you worried about Kevin Herter? Maybe a little bit. I mean, you, I keep waiting for that explosive game, and he's had, you know, he's hit 19 a couple times. He's hit, you know, 14, 17. He, he's had double-figure scoring games, but you also look at his game logs, and he's nine points, five points. He's been at nine pretty consistently, and like he's he's not really the kind of player you need to average 20 points a game for him to be effective because he's a good secondary playmaker. He's a floor spacer even if he's not necessarily hitting shots right now and even if he's not necessarily scoring a ton of points like his gravity the the respect defenses have to pay him uh, is still an important part of Atlanta's offense. But at some point like you do need him to score and, and you do need him to be I think a more assertive threat. And it was good to see him do that a little bit in the second half last night after Lloyd Pierce kind of got on him a little bit for not getting back on defense. Um, so it, he has it in him. He clearly has the shooting ability, you know, the, the, the touch, the playmaking, the ball handling, to do this kind of thing more consistently. It's just that I think he struggles to kind of assert himself and, and make an imprint on the game consistently. And it's, you know, that's understandable given kind of where the Hawks are and, and where they've been this season and how, how things are going. And especially with him kind of dealing with two nagging injuries at times this year, that makes it hard to get into a rhythm. And so you can certainly understand why he hasn't really settled into that 15, 16 points per game, you know, high 30s uh, percent shooting from three. But at some point, you do need that to come around. And, and the longer it takes for that to happen, I think, the more the, the, the more incrementally worried I get. So I'm not freaking out about Kevin Herter. I still think he's a really good player. I enjoy watching him. Um, but, you know, at some point, especially when Trey Young comes back and they kind of get this core together, you're going to need him to come around. And maybe that's what I'm waiting for. I'm, I'm willing to to be patient enough to see like these, the five guys we were talking about, you know, Herder, Hunter, Reddish, Young, and Collins, the more like once they get a meaningful sample of minutes together, if Herder's still struggling by that point, if he's still not really making the impact you'd want him to, then I might start worrying a little bit more. Yeah. I think I agree with you on this. I, you know, if the, the last seven games, he's averaging like almost 14 points a game. I know it hasn't always been pretty, but the first, you know, five or six after he returned, he was on a minutes count. Um, and the production just wasn't there. But recently, it's actually been a little bit better than even I thought in looking it up. The shooting, I'm not worried about. That's the, kind of the thing here, is that Kevin Herter, for the season now, I think he's shooting like 33% from three, 34% from three. 
I don't worry about Kevin Herter's shooting. I know it's not looked great recently. He's had a couple bad misses. Even Lloyd Pierce kind of openly wondered out loud into a microphone recently about kind of why he was not making a ton of shots. But if there's one thing I don't worry about with Kevin Herter, it's shooting. Like, it'll be fine. I'm not worried about that. Yeah. And the the injury, I mean, people think he's injury injury prone. I wouldn't say that at all. I think he's actually missed less games that people understand. What I do think, though, is worth pointing out, and I've said it before, but I'll say it again now, He's missed some development time with the injuries. Like before the in, before his rookie season, he was he missed basically the whole summer. Before training camp this year, he missed a lot of time, and then he missed the whole stretch in the uh, in the season. And I think more so than like missing games, like a guy who's still as young as Kevin Herter is, because Kevin Herter, by the way, is twenty one years old and pretty freshly twenty one years old. He just needs to have some time to get better. And I'm not sure that, that that does happen during the season, but for the most part, it happens in the summer. And basically back-to-back summers, he's missed all or part of that. And that really stunts a guy's growth when he's when he's this young. Yeah, and you, you add in the shoulder injury against Denver, you yep. know, just not really having that developmental time with the rest of the, the Hawks' core, you know, let alone being able to kind of work out on his own. The thing that, that has kind of perplexed me recently this season with him is the decision-making. Like, sometimes he, he just... It, there, you saw it against uh, New York when they got blown out in the garden where he passed up that that wide open alley-oop layup off that back oh, screen, yeah. <laughs> tried to throw it to Vince and turned it over. And then the very next game where he he kind of got caught between laying it up and dunking it on a one-on-o fast break and missed the dunk. and Right in front of he, us, by the way, uh, in Atlanta. That was a pretty funny moment. Yeah. And and last <laughs> night there were a couple decisions where, you know, it's just like like kind of little little things. You'll see it once or twice a game where he – He's either because I don't think he's a dumb player or anything. It looks like he's just kind of second guessing himself and doesn't necessarily look super comfortable with the decision he's making. And and so you just every few games he'll make a, a decision that kind of leaves you scratching your head. And you know that's maybe that's just a product of him not really feeling like his legs are under him, not trusting the shoulder. I'm not sure what it is. Um, and, and maybe it's just that he hasn't played as much as he'd like to this season, so he doesn't feel totally comfortable. Uh, but that that to me. I agree with you. The shooting is not a huge worry for me. I think he, he's going to shoot it well for most, if not all, of his NBA career. But if anything, it's it's kind of the decision-making and just the the apparent comfort level he he appears to have or not have at certain times. That That's kind of been the more baffling part to me. Yeah, I would agree. And I'd also say his defense has not been as good as I want it to be so far. I've, I've long thought that Herter can be solid. He's never going to be great defensively, but I think he's kind of underrated. His tools are underrated. He's a pretty good athlete. He's kind of long. He needs to get stronger, but I think this year, if there's a point of uh, disappointment, if you want to point that out, if they want to use that word, I think his defense has not been as good as it could be, and that needs to improve because he doesn't need to be great, but as we say all the time, if you have a a team that has Trey Young, you have to build around him with good defense with good defenders herder's not going to game change defensively but he's he has to be solid or that backwards just not going to work yeah he's also a guy i don't know if you've noticed this but he seems to have a lot of really tough shots hit on him like i feel like i'm always watching kevin herder play like 10 seconds of really good isolation defense and then some guy just hits an impossible shot but i agree <laughs> like there have also been moments where you're like oh yeah he he needs to do a better job getting over that screen his he needs to keep his hands up you know like th- there are definitely times where where he's kind of uh, yeah, disappointing is, is probably a good word there on the defensive end. Like the, the Orlando game, it's, it's it's tough because you're asking him to guard DJ Augustine, and that's just not going to work. Like DJ Augustine isn't like fantastic, but he's small and quick, and that's not a good matchup for Kevin Herter defensively. Like that's not going to yeah. work. Um, but against against wings, he's not going to be your stopper, but he's just got to be solid. And he's not been that so far. He's not been a disaster either, but he's he's I would say he's been below average, and the Hawks just can't deal with that really. Yeah, and, and in fairness to him, almost everyone on the team has been below average. Yeah, it's not just him. 
I mean, even DeAndre like, Hunter, who's, who was this, you know, his, his calling card sort of is, is his defense. Even he's been underwhelming it at moments this season, too. So it's it's a, he's not alone in this problem. And maybe you think that as you get more defensive talent in the system and as that talent sort of blossoms, that has sort of a, a rising tide effect where everyone sort of benefits and everyone becomes more locked in and better on the defensive end. But yeah, right now it, it's certainly uh, it's certainly tough at moments in terms of containment on the perimeter getting over screens actually cam reddish come to think of it is is maybe the hawks best perimeter defender right now he's he's the one guy that i think consistently is able to to stay in front of his man on the perimeter get over screens keep his hands in the passing lane i've been impressed by what he's done on defense the offensive end is a different story but yeah the the, the rest of the the lineup there has just been there have been some really brutal ugly moments this season yeah, let's go to the rookies now since you uh, since you mentioned them, and I think it's I, I agree with you by, by the way on what you said on both guys. Let's let's go to Cam first because it's kind of funny, um, at least in the fan base and in the attention. I think the basically the entire time since the draft, Cam Reddish has, has um, had more attention on him than DeAndre Hunter, which doesn't make any sense because Hunter was a number was the number four number four pick and the guy they traded for, whereas Reddish was the number ten pick. But I I do think if you didn't know that. And you just saw like my mentions or people dis- discussing it. You would think that Reddish was the higher pick because he's definitely more famous and gets more attention. Um, but I agree with you. I think his defense has been quite good. I mean, for a rookie especially. But I think he, like you said, I mean, other, other than Bembry, maybe Reddish has been the, the best defender, and he just has more size than Bembry. He's more versatile in that way. Yeah. I, I mean, offensively, it's a mess. But w- <laughs> I know you kind of said it a second ago. But what do you make of Reddish? And like, are there offensive signs that you like, or is it just as bad as it as the numbers look at? I mean, he's still one of, if not the worst offensive player in the NBA. It's which, bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and he's a rookie and he's 20 and, and like you expect these guys to be bad. He's he's still been worse than expected. Uh, but I do think there have been signs of improvement. And it's been it's been very gradual. It's been, you know, a flash here, like the 25-point game in Milwaukee and then a kind of a stinker to follow that one up. You know, he had 16 against Chicago in, in that loss. There there have been moments where he's been he's been productive and efficient in the same game, but there have been more moments where he's just been unproductive and, and wildly inefficient in others. The decision-making is still pretty bad. Although he, again, it's, it's, he, he's kind of, it seems like he, he has 10% fewer mental mistakes than he did at the start of the season, which is a, an encouraging sign, but there are still those moments in transition where he just goes one on three and, you know, misses the wide open kickout pass to the shooter on the perimeter or doesn't give the ball up early enough. That's one thing that I mean, even at the lower levels, you always hear is like, give the ball up early in transition, make the defense, make a decision. He seems to have too much trust in his one-on-one ability right now. And you and I have talked before just about how he's not as explosive or as athletic as as guys of his archetype typically are. And so I think I think because of that, there's this maybe idea that, oh, he can just beat his guy off the dribble, get to the basket, finish over people, and he's he's that kind of athlete. He's really not. And so offensively he needs to be a guy that makes good decisions you know attacks quickly and is decisive and you can see him trying to do that he's certainly decisive at moments it's just a lot of the time he's making the wrong decision and so that that to me is is the biggest thing that he needs to improve on and and he has but it's he still has a long way to go so it's just the decision making on offense um you know and the defense like you said has been good but uh, eventually the shot's gonna have to come around too and and that's that's the other thing is is like if he's not an average shooter it's just unclear if he's ever going to have much value on offense because I think for him like I mentioned because he's not an elite athlete he's going to need to have the threat of the jump shot to be able to leverage that into other moves like he's going to need to have guys closing out hard on him so he can attack that closeout 
and get by them because he's not the kind of athlete that's just going to blow by a defender that's laying back. He's not Russell Westbrook in that sense. And so he's going to need like he's going to need to have a balanced offensive game for for all the pieces to kind of work off of one another. And right now he, he's just not there. But again, the defense has been good. Uh, he's he's a smart defender. Like you see, most rookies really have trouble uh, have have trouble sort of grasping where they need to be, what rotations to make, you know, when to be in help, like like what places to be and when. And he he's taken to that pretty quickly. So I've been impressed with that. Uh, but it's it's still very much a work in progress for Cam. Yeah, I mean, the efficiency is still not good. Obviously, it's like for the full season, it's jarringly bad. Um, but if you want to be positive, I'm going to be positive right now for a second. Uh, the first 17 games, which was all the way through the end of November, he shot 29% from the floor and 21, 21% from three. Now, that is like all-time unsustainable bad, like worse than the league bad. Uh, in the month of December, so for the full month, it was 36% from the field and 31% from three. Now, that is not good. It's not even close to good, but it is notably better than it was in the first month and a half. So if you want to say that's improvement, it certainly is improvement. And defensively, it has been good. You know, I said this before, I think earlier this week on Twitter, if I, if I remember right. But um, I'm way more worried about Reddish as a finisher than I, am, uh, than I am about his shooting. I think the shooting is a point of concern. Don't get me wrong. He has to make threes for every reason that you just said. But the finishing, I don't think... You know, it's it's actually worse than the shooting. I think the shooting is not good, but like I said a second ago, like if he just shoots like low to mid thirties, it's not a disaster. Like he has to be guarded at that point in time, and you can function. I'm not sure he's ever going to finish well around the rim. Like it's going to improve, like just was because guys just improve their craft. He's very very young, but the combination of athleticism deficiency and just the way that he's just never finished well at any level, um, it's 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 a challenge for me to believe that. But if he gets into more, in, into a more secondary role offensively which is where he probably should be. I know there was this thought coming into the draft that he could be a superstar offensive player. I never really saw that. But with his defense and the fact that he can attack closeout and he can be decisive, I think, in the future and be a sort of solid secondary offensive player, if that comes together offensively with his defense where it already is and where, where it should get to, like that's still a very good player, even if he's not a 20-point scorer. He's a guy to me that would really benefit from from sort of sharpening his floater game because... Yes. It does feel like any time he he's confronted with length at the rim, it's he's just the ball's never going in. Like he, he doesn't like you said he doesn't have the craft yet, and that stuff will improve. But you know if you don't have the explosiveness, like you're you're not going to be able to just dunk all over rim protectors like someone like LeBron or, or Durant does. And, and granted, those are elite guys. Well, but and it, it's just weird to think of a guy who's six eight and long needing needing to have a floater game to to survive. But honestly, that's kind of where. It's too early to say that's definitely where we are, but at the moment, the finishing is so bad at the rim that at least you have to explore other avenues. Like it, it's going to improve, like we like we both just said. But I think there's kind of a cap on that with where he is athletically. Like he's never going to be a great finisher. It's going to yeah. improve, but he's got to figure out other ways to score efficiently. Right, and and there are times where you just see it. He goes to the basket and he tries. You can see like he jumps in the air and then he realizes like, oh wait, there's no chance of this going in, and he, he kind of throws up some random shot. I, I'd like to see him, you know, stop five feet from the rim and just kind of loft that thing. Because again, he he's six eight, six nine with with long arms, so he's he's releasing that shot from a pretty high point. So he can get that over the rim protector. It's just when he goes into the rim protector's body, he doesn't have the strength or the explosiveness or right now just the awareness. To kind of get that ball through the the rim protector and to the basket, um, you know, again, he's only taking he's only shooting forty nine percent at the rim right now, which which obviously is not great. Ooh. I was talking to my brother about this the other day, actually, where it seems like 
he every like three games he'll try this big like one-handed tomahawk dunk in traffic and it never goes in like i don't think that shot has ever gone in for him i just don't and know I like I, I i don't know why i i always praise guys for trying to dunk because it's usually good because you'll get fouled if you miss it but with reddish he's just not explosive enough to do that like, he's just, just coming not, up short it's, it's not just like he leaves it short <laughs> yeah i i don't I think he will get, this is going to sound funny, I think he's going to get more athletic because he is so young. He's 20 years old, and I, I think as he gets stronger, particularly in his legs, his burst will improve. But again, he's not going to be a high-end explosive wing athlete in the way that people might have thought that he was. It's just not It's not in there. Um, but he's fluid. That's the thing about him. I'm not saying he's a bad athlete because he is a fluid, coordinated athlete. And if you see him on the right night, he looks like he's athletic in a different way. It's more low to the ground, but it's fluid. He's coordinated. And at six, eight, six, nine with long arms, the skill level is apparent. Like he, he does have skill. It's just, there's sort there's sort of a cap on the finishing. Like, cause I'm with you. How many times have we kind of almost chuckled to ourselves when he tries to finish at the rim at, at a home game this year, we kind of look around like that was never going to work. And it just yeah. doesn't, I feel bad about it, but it's just not gonna right now. At least he doesn't have it. Yeah, he to me he needs to sort of think of himself as like a six four guy, not a six eight guy, and and that's like work on the offensive arsenal that someone like CJ McCollum would have, as, as opposed to someone like LeBron James. Because although he has good size, although he has sort of prototypical wing size, you're right, he plays low to the ground, he plays more like a guard, and I think the the faster he sort of embraces that guard skill set, which he he sort of already has, um, but I think I think that's sort of the focus for him is to sort of and I think for people watching him too, maybe look at him as as a guy who's six three or six four, and that's the kind of offensive arsenal I think he needs to have rather than your traditional big wing type of package. Because like we've been saying, it's it's just he sort of defies that archetype in many ways athletically, and so you need to to figure you need to have the craft and the touch and the smoothness, which I think he he has and and will continue to have to sort of compensate for that. Yeah, the good thing is defensively with his tools, especially when when he gets stronger, because he's going to get stronger. He is very, I would say he's notably skinny when you see him in the locker room and see him yeah. up close. He's he needs to get bigger. I think everybody knows that. When he does that and fills out because he's still very young, he can guard, you know, one through four. I think right. So that that's good. I mean, that's that's where the size comes in real handy is defensively, um, and we've already seen that coming into play. I know they're using him on smaller guards a lot this year because he's by far the best option on those guys, unless you put Bember on the court more. But um, yeah, I think one of the pluses with, with Reddish's size is that he can guard one through four eventually. And that's going to be helpful as well. Yeah. Um, and, you, and you see that sometimes too, with a lot of young wings, even bigger guys when, when they don't quite have the strength yet, a lot of the time on defense, their, their primary role is to guard those guards. I think I said this to you the other day, he kind of reminds me of rookie Jalen Brown, in a lot of ways, where Jalen also struggled to finish at the rim his rookie year, and he was also sort of that defensive specialist in a lot of ways who didn't quite have the strength yet to guard wings, but was pretty good on the perimeter and could could do that and was better than you would expect a rookie to be uh, on defense and you know not quite there on offense yet. And so whether he has the same career trajectory as Jalen, you know, we'll see. He cams a long way from that point of his career, but at this stage in in his career, like just rookie to rookie. That's kind of the guy he reminds me of, and I think he has a lot of the same, the same points of weakness that Jalen did as a rookie. But I, I think also maybe some of the same tools and some of the same indicators for the long term. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. I do think, and it's I need I, I, I want to point this out that Jalen Brown is a lot better athlete than Cam Reddish. Um, that's the yes, only difference. That's the, that's the that's really the honestly, it's one of the only differences in that profile. Um, but I wanted to make sure I said it just because yeah. Re- Jalen Brown is a high end explosive athlete, and Reddish is kind of not. But Reddish is, I think he maybe even bigger. He might be. I think he's longer. He, he's definitely longer, and and I think a little like an inch or two taller. So that helps to mitigate some of that. And I, I agree. I mean, obviously Jalen Brown would be a very high end outcome for Cameron at this point yeah. in time. Um, cause Jalen Brown is very good. Um, but that is, uh, I agree with you on the archetype and what, it, what it kind of looks like so far in the early going, I don't want to spend too much time on Reddish. So let's, let's go to Hunter real quickly. Um, you said it before. I agree with you. His defense has not been as good as I hoped it would be early on. He's had some moments offensively where it's been encouraging, but he has some defined weaknesses on offense as well. People are starting to worry about him. I'm not really. I know he's a little bit older, but I think if you look at the, you know, just the overall archetype of what he has been as a rookie starter playing, you know, 30 plus minutes. Sorry, he's he's averaging yeah, 32 minutes a game as a rookie. The numbers are not fantastic, but they're the efficiency is not like uninningly bad either like I, I don't know I'm kind of in the middle on Hunter so far I liked him in the draft I still kind of like him and the weaknesses are what they are but I don't know I'm kind of in the middle yeah I'm still fairly high on him I'm, I'm about where I was uh, at the start of the season frankly you know he's he's kind of mechanical he's not he's not nearly as fluid as Cam that that's the biggest thing that jumps out to me um, and you notice it there's actually been a couple times in the last two games where he's been kind of stuck with the ball at the end of the shot clock with like one second left on the shot clock and, and it's a situation where most guys would be able to get a shot up before it expired. And he's just like his release is pretty slow and, and just his ability to get into the shot is still kind of slow. And so you see it there where the shot clock will run out on him um, and where most guys would be able to get it up. Getting around screens has been one area of disappointment for me with him. Like he's if he's going to be this elite defender, like I think the Hawks drafted him to be. He needs to be better at getting around screens on the perimeter. I think ever since the the Miami loss in overtime, I've kind of noticed this where he he just doesn't like he doesn't get low enough getting his body over screens. He gets he gets hung up on on hard screens a lot of the time, and and I think that's something that'll improve with time because he's strong and he's quick and he's you know from all indications he's a pretty quick learner and and will will work on this stuff. But um, you know on defense, just the impact is is not where you'd want it to be. And there have been a couple games that Phoenix game in particular where. He was really like in the passing lanes, digging down on drives, stripping guys and, and being more of a playmaker. I think the Hawks want him to do more of that. I'd like to see him do more of that and just kind of assert himself more on the defensive end because he's always been a guy who's just solid in good position, you know, ma- making the right play, being in the right spot, but has never really like been a ball hawk for most of his, his college career and so far in his pro career. I think that's something that maybe he'll never get to like an elite level. At that, but I think I think that's something the Hawks want to bring out of him a little bit more. And then offensively, you know, I'm I think he's going to shoot it pretty well for most of his career. He may never be great working in isolation or in pick and roll. He he sort of needs to have the 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 bowling pins set up for him so he can knock them down. To borrow an analogy I heard from Ben Taylor, um, but you know he's he's kind of a he he's not he doesn't really read or improvise the game very well at this point in his career and you can see that in the way the hawks sort of design sets for him and get him the ball it's always kind of in the same spots working in the same direction in the same actions kind of with the same guys and and so that that may be kind of his destiny as a playmaker where he needs to have sort of a, a more structured role on offense rather than a, you know someone who can who can just fit in sort of seamlessly and improvise across multiple positions but I think I think we kind of knew what DeAndre Hunter was going to be around the draft, and and largely he's been that. You know, you'd like to see more 
on defense, but I think he'll get there. I think there's certainly time for him to improve that. And by and large, he's kind of he's projecting to be the player I think most people thought he was. I totally agree. Um, and that that includes being a fourth or fifth option offensively. And that was, you know, that's kind of the problem when you're drafting a guy like that and trading up for a guy like that in the top five. And I'm not going to relitigate that now, but that that's the peril of doing that is that I think a reasonable um, baseline for Hunter was going to be a supporting piece offensively. And we've seen the pieces of that. He shot the ball well at times. I think he he does have some underrated I think um, ability to attack mismatches and kind of just get downhill at times offensively, but the finishing is not great, especially going to his left. That's been a running joke as well. He just can't go to his left right now. Yeah. And finish. Um, occasionally he'll get one to go down with his, with his left hand, but that's, he's very right hand dominant around the rim, which is okay. I mean, he's a rookie. He's going to, he's going to improve on that, but he needs that. And the playmaking stuff was a problem. I mean, that's, that's, that was the one knock on his defense coming out. And it's still the knock on his defense is that he does not make plays defensively. He He can be solid, I think he's going to get even better because rookies are still rookies. Even even advanced quote unquote rookies like Hunter was supposed to be coming in are still rookies and they're still behind the curve fundamentally uh, against a lot of other guys. But once he cleans some stuff up, I don't worry about his on ball defense. But his playmaking, it's just never been there. And eventually, maybe it will come. But he's not going to be Matisse Thybul at any point. Like he's not going to go out there and just change the game defensively. He's going to be more of a you don't worry about him guy, but not anybody that's going to like game change defensively, which. You know, he helps you against guys that you need to have a body on, like, you know, famously the Hawks had nobody that can guard LeBron for a long, long time. And I think eventually that's what you hope Hunter can be, just that one-on-one, put him on a big physical wing, and that's just kind of his matchup all the time. But off the ball, it's just not going to be uh, robust, I don't think. Yeah, and, and maybe that that's another reason why they need to bring in a more traditional center with this group, because, you know, the the sort of the thing you don't talk about a lot by playing John Collins at center is the fact that that then puts DeAndre Hunter at power forward. And then that really compromises your in protection. Cause like you said, he's, he's not really a, a ball hawk or a defensive playmaker. And again, he's, he's in the right spots. So maybe, maybe you could argue he's just going to take away those shots at the rim before they even get up to the basket. But he's, he's not going to be a guy who flies in from the weak side and, you know, pins shots off the glass, like peak LeBron used to, or anything like that. That's like the third time I've compared someone to LeBron on this podcast. Don't, I should don't, probably stop don't do doing that, that then. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, not a good it's, idea. It's, uh, <laughs> DeAndre Hunter, I don't think, will become the greatest basketball player of all time. I want to be, be clear on that. Uh, in his defense, though, I think, offensively at least, he's sort of... The, the role he's been playing this season, I don't think it's the role he'll play long-term. The I Hawks agree. have just been shorthanded and yep. sort of talent-poor this year. So he's been sort of overextended in a lot of ways, and I think the last few games we're starting to see him sort of fit into that role that he's going to play long-term. And I think that suits him a little bit better. Uh, you know, the guy I, I compared him to the other night to you was was Chris Middleton, just in terms of his ceiling. Um, I don't think he's he's necessarily going to be Chris Middleton, and, and offensively he may never be good enough where he can be the second option on a championship team. But to your point about being able to attack mismatches and use his size like on the block and in the mid post, I think that's something he could have in his game where you can give it to him at the nail and he can kind of get to his spots, back guys down. He, you know, Middleton's kind of a methodical scorer where he's not super explosive, he's not super quick, he's not going to blow by guys, but he's strong, he's he's you know meticulous and he's physical and he and he's got a, a nice stroke and he can shoot it. So I, I think offensively Hunter could be that type of player maybe without quite the three-point accuracy or quite the ball handling. Um, and then defensively I think I think the similarities are are there in terms of just the versatility. Uh, Hunter may end, end up being a little bit stronger and therefore maybe able to play the 4 a little bit more, but like that to me, that's kind of the best case scenario for him, and that's not to say he'll ever get there. But I think the Hawks would be pretty thrilled with that outcome. 
yeah, I mean, so far this year, you know, he's he has a 19% usage, which isn't like ridiculous, but it's higher than you would want it to be. He's he's attempting uh 13 shots per 36 minutes. That's a little higher than you want it to be, I think, especially right now as a rookie. Like he the outsized role is is a thing. I mean, particularly whenever Trey Young leaves the floor, like you find yourself with Hunter as almost a primary option offensively sometimes, and that's not that's not what you want. I think he again profiles as like a fourth option offensively, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with that if the defense plays up, and that's that's the thing. The the nightmare scenario for Hunter as a, you know, as a draft pick, as a, you know, with with a trade and all that stuff, the nightmare scenario is that Hunter just becomes like a highly average starter. That isn't yeah. what you want for that pick. Now, and that's I think that's a very plausible scenario, by the way, which is unfortunate. But I, I do think that that's in that's in the um potential outcomes is that Hunter just becomes like a fairly anonymous, you know, ten million dollar a year combo forward. And that's that's a useful player, but that's not what you want in the top five. So Yeah, I agree. And it, it comes down, I think, just to the defensive versatility, like and the playmaking too is just like can he navigate screens? Can he be more active from the help side? Things like that. Like that could really elevate him into a, an, an elite tier of, of defender. And if not, you know, there's value in having the guy who can just stay in front of his man and like contest shots and be solid and space the floor a little bit. But like you said, that's that's not a guy who's necessarily changing the trajectory of your franchise. And so uh, it's the, the Hawks took a big risk there. I mean, obviously, we, we've we've discussed that. Yes, they did. I think everyone has discussed that <laughs> uh, ad nauseum. But like. Trading as much as they did to get a guy like DeAndre Hunter, you can see the theory of it, right? I mean, it's, it's clear, like, okay, we have this point guard who's really good offensively, but really bad defensively. We need a versatile wing defender to kind of come in and and fill that need for us. But there's also the chance that this guy doesn't have as much upside as your typical number four pick. And that could, if, if he doesn't reach the the floor that we envision for him, maybe the ceiling's not as high. And then, you know, there's it's there's kind of that disaster potential. So it's it's uh, still still TBD on on how well that that gamble is going to pay off. But like I said, I'm I'm kind of right where I was before the season started on Hunter. I think he's he's still kind of on the same path that that I think we all thought he was. I think I kind of am too. And uh, I said this a lot in the summer, but I kind of feel bad for DeAndre Hunter because a that draft was not good, and he should not have been a top five pick in any in a draft. Like in a normal draft, he would have been a mid to late lottery pick, which is still a good player. But the combination of the bad draft and the trade puts some uh, increased expectations on him that are not great for him. Um, yeah. Publicly, anyway. Like, I, I think internally they're doing a good job of just telling him what he should and shouldn't do. But, I, you know, from the fan perspective, I think it is unlikely that fans are going to understand the context and they're going to see him as a number four, as a number, number four overall pick, averaging like 10 points a game. And that's going to bump people out, which is unfortunate. But, alas, here we are. Um, all right, before I get, before I let you get out of here, Ben, I have to ask about Bruno Fernando, our favorite topic offline. That's um, right. Yeah, the other the other rookie and current starting center. Um, that's an interesting decision, but um, I'm not going to poison the well here. What do you think of Bruno so far? Uh, and he's obviously been playing a little bit more recently, so we've seen more of him. Uh, he definitely has been the starting center on the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, for that's while. for sure. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean he's. Listen, I've I've been fairly high on Bruno the last really really all season, and I, I realize the shortcomings. Like I I say that understanding that he has been bad and he has not been a helpful NBA player this season. I've I've seen like with a guy like him, and I think on a team like the Hawks, you kind of just go with the flashes. And I've I've seen enough flashes of just pure instincts and like wanting to make the right play from him that I've I've been encouraged at moments, and and certainly there have been discouraging moments as well. 
um, you know, the, the last few games. Basically, since he moved into the starting lineup, it's been it's been one long discouraging moment. Uh, although there were there were a couple <laughs> times in the Brooklyn game where he he looked okay on defense, but yeah, it's just not there yet for him. Like he's he's in a rookie trying to play center, which is the hardest defensive position to play in the NBA. At, you know, at a starting level yes. in the league, and that's just really really difficult. You know, I think. I think he can be a good passer eventually. Like you see him trying to throw backdoor passes and and look for guys on DHOs. I think he's a good screener. Like he's he's pretty good at sort of redirecting the the direction of his screen and, and giving guys space and kind of being crafty in that sense, which you see from a lot of more veteran centers. Uh, you see him wanting to make the right play. It's just that he doesn't always know how to do it. You know, defensively, the instincts aren't quite the same. You know, he he still needs to sharpen up his rotations, you know, figure out when and where to rotate. Again, it, it's time to time you see him do that that, that kind of thing well, but it, it's just not consistent enough. Eventually the shot's got to fall, and, you know, it's he's got a decent-looking stroke. He makes them in practice at a pretty good rate. Like, he, he looks like, and, and I think there's evidence that he could be a good shooter, but it's just it hasn't happened in the games yet, and that's really all that matters. Eventually I think he will be, like, a passable shooter for a center, but is that good enough for him to be a, a you know an integral part of this core moving forward if he's not also an elite defender? Probably not. So I, to, to me, I see him as kind of this this connective piece, either as a starter, like a fifth starter, or just on the second unit, uh, who can do some nice things for your offense and you kind of tie things together. But again, the, the warning signs and, and the concerns have definitely been there, and he has not been good this season. It's just sort of a you know it's it's either him or Damian Jones, and that's kind of the the question and, and you know to me I would lean at this point just given where the Hawks are and given the talent on their roster I would lean toward keeping Fernando in the rotation ahead of Jones just because there's a chance that he can be an important part of your core in the future and I don't think that that possibility is there with Jones and and the more development you can get him the further along you can bring him this season the more you're kind of helping yourself for next season and, and the, the seasons beyond that so I'm an advocate of, of you know, keeping his his minutes in that 10 to 15 range, if if for nothing else than just developmental purposes. But I say that fully acknowledging that Alex Len is the best center on this team, and it's not close, and he should probably be in the starting lineup, and the Hawks center rotation just in general is not very good. Yeah, I, I make fun of it a lot, of Len not starting. Um, I, I am, it doesn't bother me as much because Len is playing the most. Like, Len is the best player and he's playing the most at center. And that is what matters. I think Bruno playing, you know, Bruno starting is kind of hilarious because he is bad right now. But I'm with you on him versus Damian Jones. Like, if, if nothing else, Bruno is three plus years younger than Damian Jones and was drafted by this franchise. And I think is just the more talented player. Damian Jones, you could argue, is better at this moment than Bruno Fernando. And I think you'd probably be right about that. But neither guy is good. And I think Bruno has more tools and has, uh, more upside and more intrigue. So playing him does not bother me, particularly on a team where the Hawks are at seven and 27, as we talk right now, like giving him minutes is totally fine. Um, Alex Lynn is a lot better than him. <laughs> uh, and we know that I think anybody that actually watches this team knows that at this point in time, there was some Alex Lynn slander out there early in the season when he was struggling. But I think most people now acknowledge that he's the best, that he's the best option. So Bruno starting is funny through that prism, but I agree with everything you said. I'm going to leave it there. I'll probably just, we'll talk about Bruno at some other, some other time. Um, all right. Last thing before I let you get out of here, uh, I did not prep you for this. So we're going cold. Ooh, the team is seven. The, the team is seven and 27. If we assume relatively normal ish health 
and no massive trades, what's their record at the end of the season? Oh God. Um, I'll, I'll give you time to I'll give you time to prepare your answer by saying this: the projection systems mostly have the Hawks in like the mid twenties, like twenty three to twenty six, somewhere around there, based on where they are right now. And I will say this: I've said it before. I know, I know you probably know this. The schedule is very fortunate for the Hawks in the second half, particularly in March. Like March is it's comically easy. So all that to say, systems are in the mid twenties. Trey Young's not healthy right now, but I think all indications are that the ankle is not awful. He's not going to miss a ton of time here. So all that I, I I gave you some stall time there, Ben. But now 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 I have to now you have to answer the question, I guess. Yeah, man. I I mean, so if if we're going off of like their their cleaning the glass point differential projection, they they should right now based on on just their point differential, they should be they should have seventeen wins yeah, on seven, the season. 17 or 18 right i mean i should know this and i don't that doesn't factor schedule in does it i don't believe so i think it's just like the raw point differential and, and the schedule again we all know this but the schedule has been brutal they've, they've had a they've had a they've had a top five most difficult schedule yeah. and i think they are like bottom five the rest of the way so that definitely matters and and plus cleaning Collins. the glass they <laughs> they have not they've only underperformed their their Win diff- their expected wins by 0.3. So they're, they're basically right at where they should be. Uh, the problem is that, you know, health and suspensions and all that have kind of thrown this stuff for a loop. So it's it's really hard to get a sense of, like, if they had just been healthy and together and had their whole roster. Since, what what they actually the, the are. I mean, it's right. a question everybody always asks me, and I'm like, look, are they as bad as 727 at full at full strength? No, I don't think they no. are. But are they a 500 team? No, they're not. <laughs> so it's like... Where does that actually land? Like the other day, I said I would take the over on twenty five. People got mad at me like I was being too high, and I'm like, look, between the schedule and John Collins missed twenty five games. John Collins is the second best player on the team. Like that really matters. I think I'll I'll spoil yours by saying mine first to give you uh, even more time. I think I would say like twenty six wins, something like that, because you know the schedule is so easy, and I think they're just better than what they've been so far and if you factor in most young teams get better during the season and right. as we saw last season they're not going to stop trying like they want to they won a bunch of games late last year because there's still incentive for them to try to win because they're playing a bunch of guys like there's nobody they're going to start sitting i mean unless there's an injury concern with trey young or john collins in april they're going to play all the way to the end they're not going to like punt like teams often would because they're going to be bad enough already and the lottery Odds are not as stilted as they used to be. Like we've seen them now already not tank at the end of the season. They, they, they sat Trey for game for game 82 last year, but until then they played all the way to the end. So that combination, I'm I'm still going to lean higher than most people would. I think. I think I agree with you. They, they have a lot of things kind of working in their favor from this point out. And you hit on a lot of them. One of them is just that they, they really can't get any worse than they are now. Like there's, <laughs> there's sort of a dead cat balance. Effect. I mean, they are the, they are the worst team in the league by, by both win loss record and net rating at this moment. So yeah. And they've been like almost like even worse than your typical worst team in the league. It feels like, you know, it's, it's just been, maybe it's just cause, cause we are so close to this team and we watch them so much, but it's been really bad. Like they have multiple, 10 game losing streaks this season. Yep. Um, so, so I, I, I have to figure they will be better than that. Then you add in the fact that Collins is back. Trey presumably will be back in the next few games. You're going to have your best players together. Like you said, young teams just sort of naturally get better over the course of the season. The schedule's super soft, especially in March. If I'm doing some quick math and I'm saying 
okay, with a, a fully healthy, fully together roster, if you replayed this season, I would expect them to be around like 12 and 22. So if I'm projecting that out over the full course of a season, that's like 29 wins, but I'm knocking off five of those because of the, the record so far and those five games that they did not win that I maybe would expect them to, then we're putting them right around 24. So I guess my answer would be 24, but that's that's real. I realize that's uh, that's some pretty haphazard math there, and that's not a, a particularly sound process. Well, I, did, but... I didn't I didn't let you prep, so that that's on me. But I mean, there's <laughs> there, there's seven and twenty seven. They have they have forty eight games remaining. You know, to get to where I said to get to twenty six, you have to go what nineteen and twenty nine. That seems reasonable. I think to that's me. fair. Yeah, like it's. I mean, I think anywhere between. If you if your answer is anywhere anywhere between like twenty three and twenty eight, I'm okay with it. Anything yeah, higher than twenty eight like would be 25. really high end. But I think there's you know I'm gonna get yelled at for this. I think there is a plausible scenario where they go like I don't know tw- uh, twenty two and twenty six the rest of the way. Like, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't project that. I'm not saying that's going to happen, and I would not again I wouldn't project it. But given what they are capable of with everybody around and the schedule, I think that is not insane. Yeah, I mean, if they win 60% of their games in March, which is on the table, uh, it's certainly possible they lose 60 or 70% of those games too. But yes, it is. It's, it's reasonable that they could win that amount. I mean, that that's a, a pretty good windfall um, during that month. So I, We'll do the I same thing again as last year, by the way. It'd be hilarious. The team was, they got killed last year for being terrible for the first two months. And then they, then they ended on a high note and everyone was really excited. It's going to happen again. Yep. And well, they also outperformed their, their point differential pretty significantly they last did. year too. So that, yes. that kind of threw things off for this year, which uh, I think was, was maybe a, a trap that, that I should have seen coming a little bit better. I think if I, if I had to project and I'm just, just sort of off the cuff here, I'd say like 25 wins for the season with, you know, give or take like three. Yeah. That sounds exactly where I am pretty much. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, I've, I've given you enough, uh, grief on this podcast, Ben. Um, I, people should be following you more. So I'm, I'm putting that out there so you don't have to, you're around this team even more than I am at this point. Cause you're able to go to practice more than I am headed um, there, uh, right after we get done with this. Yeah. So people should be following your work. So please plug you, what you have going. I know you're not huge on Twitter, but you are on there and your stuff over at SI. Yes, I am on Twitter at bladner underscore. Um, it's it's mostly just tweets about basketball. Uh, si.com slash NBA slash Hawks is where you can find all my Hawks work. Still doing some some national writing for the step back. Um, less frequently than I would like and than I used to, but you know, given that my main obligation is to the Hawks, that's been kind of uh, put on the back burner a little bit, but I'm still active there. And then I host a, a, a sort of national NBA podcast called Read and React, uh, which you can find on most podcast streaming platforms that's read and react like the like the basketball principle um i thought that i thought that name was very clever when i came up with it so hopefully people agree and it is quite clever actually it's, that's one of the better ones the it's one of the better ones there are some bad, there that. are some yeah. bad podcast names out there that, that's a good one i think <laughs> well so. there's so many podcasts that you know some of the names are just bound to be bad so there, in fact i uh this is behind the scenes there was someone that i know that was thinking about starting a podcast and we could not think of a single name that was good that was not already taken yeah, it's it's difficult. I it's checked hard. and I was I was amazed that that read and react was not a thing already, but it was not. So we we got there first. We were able to claim that, you know, stake out that territory. But yeah, that's on <laughs> iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Spreaker, to what, whatever you like to listen to podcasts on. It's probably we actually had an episode come out today. So if you want to check that out, it's there. And then, like I said, the step back and then si.com slash NBA slash Hawks is uh, where all my Hawk stuff is. 
Yeah, follow Ben. Ben is doing great work. Uh, I spend a lot of my life at this point with Ben and Kevin Chenard. Um, That's right. And, of, of course, Chris Kirscher and Sarah Spencer were, were around. Um, but, yeah, please follow Ben. Thank you for joining me. As um, I, I won't say as always, but now I will. You know what? As always, Ben, you'll be back at some point. Um, I hope so. This is a lot of fun. I'm, I'm glad you're able to have me on. Hopefully soon. Um, and as for everybody else, please subscribe to Ben's podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast. And uh, Happy New Year, everyone. This will be the first podcast that drops in 2020. So uh, Happy New Year, everybody. And we'll see everybody later on this week.